Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Work is how people build economic security and upward mobility, and it needs to translate into that. So we're excited to see, for example, employers, investors, government, to really ensure that the contracts that they deploy, the investments they make, that they really center and prioritize good quality jobs, not just any job. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 304 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Rachel Corbett. Rachel Korberg co-founded the Families and Workers Fund in April 2020 with partners at the Ford Foundation and Schmidt Futures in response to the economic hardship caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. As executive director of the fund, a more than $51 million and growing collaborative philanthropy, she leads its strategic growth and commitment to building a more equitable economy that uplifts all. Most recently, Rachel led several grant-making portfolios at the Ford Foundation as part of its Future of Work initiative. Prior to Ford, she led economic opportunity grant-making at the Rockefeller Foundation, where she also designed and ran the Communities Thrive Challenge, a partnership between the Rockefeller Foundation, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and the United Way. Prior to that, Rachel was vice president of the boutique investment firm Serengeti Capital and also a global development and humanitarian aid worker. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing philanthropy's role in supporting communities experiencing financial hardship and how the social impact movement can push for the restructuring of economic systems and institutions. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. So to start off, Rachel, could you please just share a bit about your background and what led to your interest in work and building a more equitable economy? Absolutely. So the answer is personal and professional. On the personal side, I grew up Jewish with my grandparents and with their stories of great aunts and uncles who died in the Holocaust or escaped as refugees. I remember every time that we traveled anywhere in the U.S., my grandmother would make us find the local phone book and look up our family's last names to see if someone could have found their way there. I was very committed to social justice. I was very curious about collective action when it works, when it doesn't work. For me, that led to the first chapter of my career, which was as a humanitarian and development aid worker. I had the honor to serve in places all over the world that were coping with emergencies and humanitarian crises. During the Holocaust, the humanitarian field didn't really exist and it grew out of the failings of the Holocaust in many ways. It was really such a profound honor and opportunity for me to be able to work in that field. Then after that chapter of my career was in social investing. 
And the scale was so different. The ability to impact millions of lives through capital, to pull these really interesting levers in our economy. And then philanthropy, where my career has been for the last decade, really blends these two parts of me. I have this curiosity about innovative ways to use capital, how we can use capital to create change at scale, and also this really deep interest in being ultimately driven and informed by people who are on the front lines and directly impacted. That's a really interesting background, and it really clearly shows that connection to those personal values and how that flows into your professional career and social impact. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience, Rachel. And we covered this a bit in your bio, but you're currently the executive director of the Families and Workers Fund. So could you tell us a bit more about its mission and social impact? The Families and Workers Fund is a donor collaborative. We're chaired by the president of the Ford Foundation, Darren Walker, and the CEO of Schmidt mm-hmm. Futures, Eric Braverman. We are a coalition of about 20 diverse philanthropies in the U.S., and we're all committed to building a more equitable economy that uplifts everyone. The United States, like all of the world right now, is still really struggling with the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're looking ahead and trying to ensure that we don't just return to what things were like for working people before the pandemic, but actually that there's greater opportunity and that there's greater equity on the other side of this. We fund nonprofits directly. We also collaborate with federal, state, and local government and employers, all under this mission of building a more equitable economy that uplifts everyone. Right now, we are a $51 million fund, and and most of that does go to direct grant making. But we also think about how to use our collective voice as funders and the important role that we need to play directly in advancing this type of change. I would say we're an example of change in philanthropy. We're really breaking the mold in a lot of ways. Our coalition has both a lot of old storied philanthropic institutions in the U.S., Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, but also a lot of new philanthropists. Jack Dorsey's philanthropy, the CEO of Twitter, the Skoll Foundation. It's really exciting to see old and new philanthropies coming together. And I'm excited about this very collaborative, collective way that we're all working, which I also see as a critical part of philanthropy in the future. I can just imagine as being an executive director of that organization, you would have such a perspective and such an overview of that philanthropy space as a whole. It would just be an incredible perspective to have. So I'm, I'm really keen for you to share a bit more about that, especially so now in this role, you would see a lot around economic security and growth, and especially in the US where you're based. So what do you see in the upcoming future as the key challenges for economic security in both the US and globally? I'll start answering this question by telling you a little bit about why we started. If you can remember back to the spring of 2020, we were watching COVID-19 really deepen its grip in the U.S., but throughout the world. And it was very clear that this was not only a public health crisis, but this was also going to be a crisis of financial hardship and of inequity. It really revealed a lot of the insecurities, a lot of the fracture lines that we have in our economy. In the U.S., like many places around the world, a lot of the people who were already in the lowest paying jobs and were already struggling to make ends meet were laid off immediately. In fact, in the U.S., 
45% of people in the lowest paying jobs were unemployed at some point in 2020, which is just a horrifying, painful statistic that is so much more than a statistic is people's real lives. So many of you yeah. know my family members, many of our staff's family members, we watch this happening here and around the world. And it was clear that work already wasn't before the pandemic translating into a decent enough standard of living. And the pandemic just deepened those vulnerabilities and inequities that were already baked in. I think we see that not only in countries where their economies might already have been struggling, but also in countries that have so much financial wealth. To your question, what are the biggest challenges for economic security and growth in the U.S. and globally? I really would point to this challenge of the contract being broken, like fair work for fair reward. That really should be key in every society around the world. Unfortunately, you see that contract being broken in too many places. In the United States, uh, about a third of the workforce, so people who are fully employed still, even before the pandemic, we're not able to afford the basics of a good quality of life, rent, childcare, transportation. That's just unacceptable. It means we're not using our wealth to ensure that everybody has a decent quality of life and that there's an opportunity for upward mobility. To me, that is really what the next phase, the sort of mission is of the post-COVID period when it comes to economic security. We've really got to be focused on not only getting people quote unquote back to work, though many people have been working the whole time, but making sure we're not only reducing unemployment, but that people are going back to jobs that ultimately enable them to provide for themselves and their family to achieve upward mobility and really to have that social contract that should be there, which is fair work for fair reward. That is a really powerful insight. I, I just 100% agree. I, I think that it's amazing that for your work, you're looking into the power of employment, but on a deeper level and in favor of also the employee and what they need to gain from that and ensuring their quality of life. And thank you for sharing that, Rachel. In the past, you've worked with other leading philanthropic organizations that are now also a part of the Works and Family Fund, such as the Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. In this time and throughout your career, when you've worked through all of these different amazing organizations, how have you seen the role of philanthropy change and how can philanthropy as a concept and in practice be improved? We need to be real that philanthropy is in some ways a symptom of the systems that we are trying to fix. The extreme wealth creation that enables philanthropy. On the one hand, I really applaud everyone who has been successful in the form of generating wealth and deploys that to good use. We should have a system where also everybody is taken care of and you don't need philanthropy to step in and provide some of the basics that government ultimately should be able to fund and provide. It's interesting in the U.S., we actually have a lot more philanthropy than in many other countries like Australia and many parts of Europe. And some of that is because there is still a more limited role for government in ensuring people's basic well-being. I hope that will change. But in the world in which it's not, I'm really, you know, proud of all of the growth and reckoning that the U.S. philanthropic sector has been doing, and I, I'm proud to be part of it. I think there has been a reckoning in philanthropy over the past decade. Mm. I think we have talked a lot about making it less about what funders want and what funders think is the right answer, and more about 
the people with lived experience really guiding and directing those resources. That's very key to the way we work. And I don't think we're unique in that. There's a movement around trust-based philanthropy as well, which is instead of treating the nonprofits you support, like they're your contractors that you're going to direct to do what you like, Instead, really putting trust in them, investing in them and supporting them and building their capacity and trusting that they have deeper insights into how the work really needs to play out. The last important shift I would mention in the philanthropy sector is that philanthropies are now thinking a lot about all of their assets, not just their grants. And that often includes their endowments as well. As you probably know, the model for a lot of foundations is you invest your endowment, much like a large university might, you invest it, and then the investment income that spins off of it, that's what you use to do your grant making. In the U.S., our law requires that 5% of your total assets be used towards that grant making if you're going to have all the legal benefits of being a philanthropy. That means 95% of your assets could actually be totally disconnected from social impact. And that's a little bit of a problem, right? We've seen this exciting movement, and I was really proud of the Ford Foundation for being an early mover on this, around mission investing. Let's make sure we use our endowments also to advance our mission. The Ford Foundation actually carved out $1 billion from its endowment to explicitly invest in mission-aligned ways. And there are foundations across the world doing this as well. I'm just so excited to see what this next chapter in philanthropy will be like. And, and my sense is that in a best case scenario, it really centers equity, trust, and we think about all of our assets and how we use them all together to advance some social impact. It's a really great progression, uh, as you've just stated, that philanthropy has made over the past decade. And it's such an exciting area that's going to be explored, I'm sure, so much more for your work. So I, I'm keen to see its development as well. And tying into that, looking into the future and ahead, in the next five years, where do you believe there are opportunities for the social impact movement to address economic inequality and help rebuild systems? The current economic recovery that the global economy needs to go through, that every country needs to go through, is a huge opening. In recoveries, we get an opportunity to press reset. Um, and I think we can focus on having an equitable, good jobs recovery. Let's be serious, not about ensuring we reduce the unemployment that the pandemic has caused, but that we care about the types of jobs, the quality of those jobs that people are going back to. This goes to our earlier conversation, but work is how people build economic security and upward mobility. And it needs to translate into that. We're excited to see employers, investors, government really ensure that the contracts that they deploy, the investments they make really center and prioritize good quality jobs, not just any job. The other thing I would say when I think about the next five years is continuing to really center the most directly impacted people, not assuming that the answer and really going to develop much more participatory models for decision-making. The final thing I would point to that I'm really excited about over the next five years is implementation and good delivery of our policies. Policy is only real 
if people can experience it in their lives. And one of the things that COVID reminded all of us is sometimes there's a lot of friction. It's really tricky for people who want to apply for unemployment insurance or want to get a stimulus check or some government benefit. It's really challenging to get it. Being experienced dealing with all of the paperwork. In the U.S., we sometimes had people waiting several months to get the support that they were entitled to. So I'm excited over the next five years of really having this golden era where we invest in all the nerdy things of government technology systems, delivery systems, and designing for user experience. Because yes, the policy design matters, passing the policy matters, but actually getting it to people is huge. And when people try to apply for these programs and benefits and have these hard experiences, it's not just a frustration. It actually creates distrust between people and their government. It's a huge opportunity to actually continue strengthening and shoring up democracy by really investing in government's implementation and delivery capacity. Wow, there are some really exciting prospects that you've just pointed out there. I, I hope that all of these things come to fruition, especially in the social impact sector. And really those audiences that need that assistance and need to be uplifted, they really receive that. And once again, thank you for sharing those insights there, Rachel. And just to finish off, are there any books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners to check out? I love this question. So many <laughs> amazing books. I've got three for you. I hope that's all right. 100%. So I've got... All right, great. The Sum of Us, which is by Heather McGee and is about the way that racism costs all of us and has created not only a worse society for people of color, which it of course has at every single turn, but actually for all of us by essentially causing us not to invest in public goods and not to invest in communities and the collective. Such a powerful book that blends data and stories. So just highly recommend. The second is From Generosity to Justice by Darren Walker, who's the co-chair of the Families and Workers Fund and the president of the Ford Foundation. This is, we'll touch on a lot of the themes we talked about with philanthropy. Where is philanthropy coming from? How do we move to a place where it's charity and something small scale to really being about justice and uprooting a lot of the systems of exclusion and marginalization that have so long had power. Really excited about um, that book. Finally, I had to put a novel in there because these are two really heavy recommendations. So I recommend um, for all you novel lovers, The Red Shirt by Corey Sobel. It hits on so many interesting themes, toxic masculinity, being LGBT in an unwelcoming environment, class, race, but it's all wrapped up in this totally engrossing story about football and university. So highly recommend. Amazing. That's a really great range of books that you've recommended and all of the resources you just listed and all the books, all of the organizations, all of the funds, philanthropists, <laughs> everyone you've mentioned throughout the podcast and our interview today, they'll be linked in at the end of the article. So after people have listened to our interview or read through the transcript, they'll be able to click on through and check all of those out, which is really amazing. And that actually brings us to the end of our interview today, Rachel. And I just want to say on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for sharing your generous insights and time and just making the time to have this discussion with me and to really share your insights. It's just amazing the work that you're doing. This has made a really, really fantastic discussion and we've had an amazing conversation today. And I just can't wait to see the work you do in the future and all of the success that comes out of the Workers and Families Fund. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of your podcast and it was such a blast to get to talk with you today. 
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.